Nobody cares about international basketball stage. Oh, sorry. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 43rd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin in Rip City, and I got my man, Sage, chilling in Southern Oregon. And it's crazy to say this, but I'm so happy to be home. I was on a a 14-day road trip with my older brother, and I've been across the entire USA through 15 states, I believe. And I got to say, the Pacific Northwest and especially Oregon, is the place that I want to be. I mean, that's why everybody in their mind is moving here and driving up the housing market. It would be nice if NBA athletes felt the same way. We (laughs) might have had a couple of different results in free agency, but, um, you know, I'm really excited to be recording as well. It's been a a while. 22 days, man. And to be quite honest, it is such a great distraction from what's going on um, in the world. And again, I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention what just recently happened two nights ago in Baton Rouge. We have the killing of of Alton Sterling, and then it was captured on video. And then on Facebook Live, we saw another video in the Falcon Heights area of Minnesota, um, Philando Castile, uh, apologies if I mispronounced uh, his name, was shot. And then we have the tragedy that's going on in Dallas at the moment where at least four police officers are are dead. And there's rumors of a bomb possibly being in, in the city as well. Uh, so the world is a extremely fucked up place that we're living in right now. And uh, it's nice to have sports. That's what sports are for. It's great to uh, keep our mind off of things and to just, um, you know, escape. And I've also personally been dealing with um, a sick cat. Uh, I had to take Bassie to the vet all day yesterday. Um, He was really under the weather. He's finally coming back around. But, you know, what are the Blazers without Fancy Feast and Bassie? I mean, they go hand in hand. So I'm just glad I have uh, my right-hand man back, and um, we've got some stuff to talk about. I'm actually glad we waited to do this episode. I know the timing worked out well that way, but with free agency, it's almost good just to let things unfold and then react because it was coming fast and furious last Thursday evening, and we just found out some big Blazer news tonight. Mm-hmm. Bestus Azili has signed, I believe, a 15 to $16 million uh, deal with the Trailblazers over two years. The second year is a team option. Um, Portland brought him in. They checked out his knees, and Portland got their rim protector. What's amazing about this is how the story unfolded. We have Keenan Lowe, one of the, the best Oregon receivers in recent memory, is on a flight from the Bay Area to Portland, sees Festus is on the flight, Text Jason Quick says, hey, Festus Azili is on this flight. Jason Quick goes down to the airport, meets him there. That's how we all find it. I mean, we're talking about scooping Woj and Mark Spears on this stuff. Just doesn't happen. Um, It almost felt like it was pre-internet scoopage. (laughs) You know when the internet just started, there was those message board rumors, oh, I saw so-and-so. That's what it felt like. And uh, obviously he was here for a reason. He bought a a one-way ticket. Um, the market for centers had dried up. Uh, Golden State had to renounce him. He was a restricted free agent because they signed Kevin Durant. And 
it kind of all fell into place for Portland. And I think finally we felt, felt like something went right for us in this free agency period by getting a great bargain deal on, if he's not your starter, he's going to be one of the better backup centers uh, in the NBA. Sage, what are your thoughts on the Blazers adding Big Festus? That contract is so unbelievably good and team-friendly for the Blazers. When I read it, I was like, either Neil has is a wizard and is able to just get these amazing team-friendly deals, or he has some dirt on Festus to make him sign such a cheap team-friendly deal. Like, even if you don't like Festus, and I'm not the biggest Festus guy in the world, that contract is so good that you just have to be like, this is our guy. This is either our backup or a starting center. It is what it is. And Blazer fans got up close and personal with uh, Mr. Azili during game two of the conference semifinals. That was a game that Portland held, I believe, a 15 or 17 point lead up 11 or 12 going into the fourth quarter. And then he came in the game and it was it was game over. We had no answer for him. They were throwing him lobs. He had eight points, shot uh, four for four from the field, uh, six boards in just 13 minutes. And as soon as he came in, the momentum totally shifted. Golden State took that 2-0 series lead, and Portland was really never able to recover. Um, and you look at that game, if you're Portland, you go 1-1, you win game three. It's a whole different series. I'm not saying we win or whatever, but he was a big factor for that, and he showed that he has talent. He did miss the 2014 season uh, due to, I believe, um, an MCL uh, injury, and then he missed six weeks this year on the other knee. Uh, he had to get it scoped and cleaned out. So I posted this on Twitter. Either A, he really, really wanted to play in Portland, or B, his knees are absolutely shot. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think you could throw in C, the fact that the market just dried up. No teams really need centers. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, with the timing of the Durant and them having to renounce him and trade Bogut and let Barnes go, et cetera, it just all fell into place for Portland. And like I, like we've always said on this show, and when it comes to basketball, whether it's winning a championship or a trade, timing and luck are everything. You, exactly. you have to have a little bit of both. And, I mean, yeah, the, the knees are definitely concerning, but I'm willing to stomach $8 million. In this new market, that's like not that bad of a contract. I, I'm cool that the knees definitely do scare me, but his upside's really high because he does have talent. He can be a low-key, like, Hassan Whiteside type of ceiling. So I'm really I'm willing to take the risk on a, on a guy making $8 million. $8 million is the new mid-level exception. Probably exactly. Like, you're really not going to get a player of his caliber at that price. His and potential. he has, still has potential. I mean, this kid's not going to be 27 until October 21st. Uh, he's going to get a lot of experience with Al Farouk Aminu on the Nigerian national team this summer in Rio, which will be great. I'll be pulling for, for them. You know, I go Blazers over country any day of the week. And he protects the rim. He's just great at challenging shots, contesting them. And it's nice because Plumlee's more offensive-minded with, with the passing and the dribbling. We needed some guy like this, just a big body back there that if the matchup calls for it, you can put him in there and you can stop dudes from getting to the paint. Which is so important in this. When people think small ball, they think five guys that are small. No, there's always going to be that one dude 
protecting the rim. And with small ball, having a good rim protector is imperative. And I, I, I don't know if we've ever answered Stewart's question about Ed Davis gaining 15 pounds. He really doesn't need to do that now. Because we got Festus, he can do that. I, do you know what his post defense is? Like, man-on-man at post? I mean, to be honest, I didn't watch a ton of Warriors games, and the Warriors are a team with a lot of moving parts that some games Festus would play 24 minutes. Some games he would DMP. Uh, I know he had a rough finals towards uh, the end. Um, really struggled with Tristan Thompson just getting after it, and Thompson was taking all of their bigs to, to task um, under the board. So that's something he's going to need to uh, fix. But again, you look at the state of the free agents, who was left, you look at the cap room Portland had and the need. I mean, really outside of, of Whiteside or Horford, you know, Zeely was really on the top of a lot of people's uh, wish lists come free agency. And if you would have told them July 1st, hey, you're going to get Festus for two years, $16 million, and a team option after the second one just to see if it works, everybody is taking that deal. Yep. It's crazy how we were thinking it was going to be Parsons and Hassan, then go to Parsons and Dwight, and then it went to Evan Turner. And there was a long period of just Blazers fans being frantic. How are you feeling uh, during that time of just nothing happening for Blazers? I Google searched this for, for quite a while, but give it up to Wikipedia for, for being the one that came through for what I was actually searching for. So it looks like in June of 2013, Azili was ruled out six to nine months. Um, he had surgery on his, on his right knee. He eventually went on to miss that entire season, like, like I mentioned. Um, was that his rookie? Or his no, that was his second year. He was drafted. He was class of 2012. So he was, um, he was actually taken the last pick of the, one of the last picks of, of the first round uh, before Draymond. Um, but definitely that was Dame and Myers' draft class. Um, and then, again, this year he had the other knee, which, which had to get scoped. Um, so you were talking about free agency and, and opening up, and I can't lie, I was so excited. I was counting. I mean, ever since the season ended, I was counting down the days until free agency because we finally had cap space. We thought we were a team on the rise, that we would get somebody here. If people wanted to play with Dame, um, you know, we had our eyes set on, like, Hassan Whiteside, maybe, maybe Horford. Uh, Dwight Howard was considered, like, uh, you know, option C. Like, that's how, <laughs> how big some, some fans had, had their expectations. And it was, I think the most frustrating part was just seeing the fans and the knee-jerk, knee-jerk reactions um, when they realized, oh, Hassan's not going to meet with us, or he signed right away with Miami, and then we went after Parsons, it was like Neil Olshay, like, you know, a witch hunt, like fire him. And I just, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I almost just wanted to say, do you realize that Portland picked to be worst time to have the cap space? Because everybody has cap space. Mm-hmm. Second, it is not a good free agency class. There were only a handful of difference makers that could come in and start on a playoff caliber team. And third, Portland just isn't an attractive destination for the the typical NBA athlete. It, it's just it never has and it likely never will be. And I think to a point about winning, Blazer fans thought that getting to the second round might have enticed a free agent to come here um, over another destination. 
I mean, it looks like it, we were a good feel-good story, but at the end of the day, it was still you're out in the second round. I think once Portland continues to be a Western Conference power and they can make the Western Conference finals a couple years in a row, maybe get to the finals once, then you're going to see the guys be like, I don't care about location. I want to go to win. And that's what you heard Evan Turner say today during his press conference. Um, he's like, I, somebody asked him about the city of Portland. He's like, you know, it's, I'm sure it's great, but I, I came here to, to win. And that's how Portland landed Rod Strickland in uh, the summer of 92. Portland had made the finals two out of three years, Western Conference finals the year before. And Rod Strickland, a kid from New York, just goes to Portland. And we already had Terry Porter in place there. So it wasn't like, look, it, wasn't like it was an ideal situation, but he knew Portland had a chance to get that ring. Uh, unfortunately, things didn't work out that way. But players want to win, especially veterans, because they know their, their years are numbered. And you shout just, out to David West, <laughs> the ultimate ring chaser. But you just can't get upset at Neil O'Shea. Did I like the fact he was going after Chandler Parsons? Absolutely not. Parsons' knees scared the living shit out of me. And the fact we were offering him, what, $24 million a year? I did not like that at all. And as me and you have talked on the podcast, like we don't want to talk ourselves into a Harrison Barton signing. Well, I didn't want to talk myself into liking a Chandler Parsons signing, but I was starting to. Mm-hmm. and I respected Neil for going after Parsons only in the sense that we are Portland. We are in Oregon. You know, we are the outlier. If you look on the NBA map, the Trailblazers are far and away, you know, nowhere near any other franchises. You have to take a risk. And when he was healthy, Parsons was, was a dude. Like, he was a consistent Nick Batum. Yeah. Who, I mean, Better could, passing. Better passing, could stroke the three, um, a great facilitator, um, great ball handler, really versatile, could probably play one, two, or three. Uh, super solid player, especially right before he got hurt um, last season before the playoffs. And he was averaging like nine, um, five, and six, or some really solid stat line like that. So I understood where Neil O'Shea was with that. But after listening to Neil, you came to realize, and the story started coming out, okay, we're giving Parsons a, a 6 a.m. deadline because Turner is like, if there's a 1A, he's our 1B on our list. we got to get this guy because the Knicks were going after him. The Knicks had a ton of cap room. So we threw a large number at Evan. And at first, I was like four years, $70 million for Evan Turner. I mean, if you would have told me that before, I would not have been happy with that. I mean, would you have, Sage? So Evan Turner was high on my list of players that I thought the Blazers could get. But I thought it was going to be a bargain price because I think he fit. I think he will fit with the team. I think his versatility, play, being able to play one through three and play scrappy defense, is needed. And like in the second team, he can handle the ball, and CJ can play off ball. So I liked that. But the money kind of surprised me. It was a lot. But every every team wants a D and three player. The market, you, you have to pay up for that specialized thing that every every team needs. Every team wants a DN3 player, so you had to pay up for it. So I'm fine yeah. with that. And Boston wanted to bring this guy back, so Portland had to overpay. And once the sticker shock started to wear off and you started looking at other deals that were being thrown out there, I mean, you, you've got Parsons getting the max. You had Delavadova getting $10 million, You had Mozgov getting 16 Joe Kim Noah getting 18 Just Just a bunch of ludicrous contracts. You start to compare them, and you're like, okay, this Evan Turner deal isn't so bad. 
And the fact that once you start to realize, okay, Durant wasn't going to give us the light of day. He had six or seven meetings. Portland wasn't even on the list. Whiteside clearly was using Dallas and Portland as leverage to get a max deal from the Heat because, one, he wanted to announce on July 1st where he was going. He had that Players' Tribune article written out awfully quick, if you ask me, and he met with the Mavs first, and then he got their max offer, and he took it to Miami, and it was done. Portland was scheduled as the third meeting, but I think Neil sniffed that out pretty quickly and realized what was going on. And then you've got Al Horford, who probably wasn't really looking to come to Portland. Again, he wanted to go to a contender. He was dead set on going to OKC if Durant would have committed there with him. But, you know, he also realized if he's not going to go to OKC, then let's stick in the Eastern Conference. We probably have a better shot at getting to the Eastern Conference Finals with a really strong Boston team. And then we're back to Dwight Howard. And Dwight Howard was rumored to be in play with the Chandler Parsons duo. That could have made sense. I mean, that's the ultimate, I think, boom or bust free agency signing for the Blazers. And and I would have been on board with that, too. But once you start hearing all of this and all of the players who really don't have interest in Portland, you start to come around to Evan Turner. You start watching him play. And I like the—I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I like the fact that three-point shooting is not his strong suit. We need players on this team who can play perimeter defense, which he fills that checkbox, can, can be a, a third ball handler, fills that box that as well, so badly. and can create his own shot and is lethal at the mid-range. The mid-range shot doesn't get enough love. People just say, we either take it to the paint or I want you to shoot in a three. That's one reason, one of the aspects of Henderson's game I really like. Like, Gerald was a pretty dang good mid-range jump shooter, and Evan Turner's even better. We're essentially just swapping Evan Turner for Gerald Henderson. And yeah, I know Gerald got $9 million a year, and we're paying sixteen, seventeen for for Evan Turner, but I'm willing to pay double for um, a younger player who I think has a little bit more upside and is just an overall better player. What do you think Evan Turner's ceiling is? Because I, I got a comp that I like a lot. I mean, funny enough, I wanted Evan Turner so bad coming out of Ohio State. I know Portland, it was in 2010, so we had just lost to the Suns in the playoffs and had no chance of getting a top two pick. But to me, he was Brandon Roy coming out of Ohio State. I thought he was going to be exactly like B. Roy. I mean, you watch those two in college. You watch Brandon's early years in Portland. I thought he was just the second coming. Um, Honestly, I'm pretty surprised he didn't live up to that bill. Going to the Sixers can derail a lot of careers, as, as we've we've seen in which he did. He played quite a few years there before going to Indiana and then landing in Boston. He needs the ball in his hand a lot, and Philly wasn't willing to do that. Exactly. And, I mean, I don't know if his ceiling is, is much higher than, than what he does now. I just think he is going to be a solid player. So I'm not going to give a name, because I, I don't have a name. Who, who are you thinking? Tyreek Evans with the... Tyreek Evans that can fit in a team concept of basketball. And plays defense. And plays defense. That's who I think he could be. Yeah. I mean, he definitely handles like Tyreek. He's a big guy. Like, he's lanky and tall, but he's... Powerful. Yeah. He's probably not as stocky as Tyreek, and Tyreek's a little bit better at probably getting to the rim, but, you know, you'll take Turner's jump shot over him, and... Like you said, Turner's probably just a better overall fit. Like you said, he can play the one, the two, or the three. So I like that Tyreek comparison. I mean, Tyreek is a dude who, was he rookie of the year? Yeah. I mean, he averaged like 25-5, and five and only a handful of guys have ever done that as a rookie. Um, 
So just because you say Tyreek Evans, like don't automatically be like, oh my god, what did we just sign? Uh, <laughs> it's actually a favorable comparison. Yeah, I just have a really bad taste in my mouth when it comes to Tyreek Evans. But this guy can fit in a team concept. He is a willing passer. He's not going to keep dribbling the ball like Tyreek Evans. So they have a lot of similarities to their games, but I think Evan Turner is smarter when it comes to basketball IQ. Not saying Tyreek Evans is dumb, but if you read my Twitter, I do say that. You know, and Evan, he... He's probably just now going to the prime of his career. He's 27. He'll be 28 at the start of the season. And I think he's going to be a guy Blazer fans are going to fall in love with. Oh, they're going to love him so much. He reminds me almost a little bit of Nick Batum in the way that he's going to fill up the stat sheet. He's going to get you a steal. He's going to get you a block. He's probably going to get you five five dimes, six or seven boards, 11, 12 points. There are going to be nights when you're going to depend on him to be that third scorer, and he will do that. There are going to be nights when he's going to need to make a defensive stop or make a key bucket. He'll do that. Go back and watch the highlights of Boston's win in Oracle Arena against the Warriors late in the season. It was the Golden State Warriors' first loss in, I believe, over one or two years, something like that. Um, he made so many key plays and key mid-range shots to keep the Warriors at bay. Uh, that's what I expect out of him. That's what he can do. He can hit that mid-range shot, and he can kind of quiet the crowd. And whether it's coming off the bench or starting or a hybrid role, it doesn't really matter. When you've got players who are battle-tested, I mean, this kid's been in the playoffs multiple years. It's not like he's going to come in you know, wide-eyed and, and, um, and shook. He, he's ready. And what I really liked about his opening statements was he liked the toughness that Portland played with, that blue-collar mentality. Anytime you get a guy that comes in and is willing to talk blue-collar, that means they're not going to have any problems in the locker room. It's going to be no nonsense. Let's get this thing rolling. Just, you know, basketball. Let's go. What do you think his role is going to be for this team? Um, listening to Neil O'Shea, I think it's pretty evident that the four starters are, are locked in. I think you've got Dame, CJ, Turner, and Aminu at the four. Um, whether Azili or Plumley plays the five is anybody's guess, but he really loves Aminu at the four. Uh, we were playing at about a 55-win pace when we played Aminu at the four to end the season and obviously had a lot of success in the postseason. So I think he's going to come in, play the three. I think whenever... Dame or CJ takes their first break, he's going to become the primary ball handler, and he's going to let that other uh, superstar backcourt mate go off the ball, take that burden off of them, work them off screens, and really initiate the offense. He is the he's the quintessential point forward. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I think his role is going to be as well. And if you're him, this is I, I think this is a great fit. I don't I've heard a lot of reports from bloggers or. You know, writers saying, you know, I love Turner. I just hate the fit in Portland. Do you hate the fit because he's a, what, let's look at his stats. You know, he's a career 30, 31% shooter from three. I know he only shot 24% last year, but if my memory serves me correct, another player came to Portland, not known for shooting threes, by the name of Mo Harkless, about the same percentage, and he became pretty reliable down the stretch. I'm just saying Players shoot better in Terry Stott's offense. They get great shots and great looks. When you have guys like Damon CJ commanding so much attention from the defense, you're going to get open looks. Mm-hmm. He is, he, I guarantee he will not shoot 24% from three this year. 
yeah, I, I, I do like the Evan Turner move. I, I, I do admit the the price was a lot, but got to pay for assets that are that are there are many of them. So I mean, you got yes, the price is a lot, but you got to think about this as well. You have maybe a tier one. Portland had room for a tier one and a tier two free agent with all of the cap space they had. I don't know if Turner would necessarily clarify or classify as a tier one guy. In this free agency class, I would make the argument that he probably is, just c- given that Braun and Katie are already off the table, so you, you can't even count those guys. So you're looking at Turner, Whiteside, Horford, Parsons. I mean, if he's in that class, I would put Whiteside one, but Turner's is up there. because He's in the Ryan Anderson class. And you know guys like DeMar DeRozan, they're not going anywhere. Um, so you really... You, you see all these names added to the free agency class, but there's so many guys who are going to either they're restricted or they're just not going to go anywhere. So it really limits your options. And when every single team has money to spend to get that first guy, like early on, we got him what 10 a.m. on July 1st. You have got to spend the money. And that's what Neil did. And everybody freaked out like, oh, my God, what is he doing? He's missing out on everybody. This is the, what, the third or fourth year he's missed out on his plan A. Skies falling, you know, just rabble, rabble, rabble. Like if you watch South Park, you know what I'm talking about. Just like the the, the mob is coming and the, they want Neil Olshay. Mm-hmm. Just relax. Like put some trust in this guy who I'm sure you were fighting for him to win Executive of the Year last year, and rightfully so because he deserved to win it. Just chill. Like free agency is a long, it's a process. long process. Exactly. Thank you. And it's still not even over. But he is patient, and he works the phones. Like, don't believe everything you hear in the media. Just because Woj isn't reporting something doesn't mean he's not talking or working. You are not in the office. You are not a fly on the wall. You don't know what's going on. I mean, I bet there are so many contingency plans that they have laid out. Or they're still, I bet they're still working the phones as we are recording right now at, at 1032 on a Thursday night. Uh, this dude is a nonstop worker, and he was patient. Yes, he went after Palasol. I thought that was a great move. I didn't like the, the numbers because we would have had to renounce um, two players of our three restricted free agents, but I thought Powell would have been fantastic in our offense. Again, you cannot make somebody come here. He wanted to go to the Spurs because he felt like it was a, they were a more complete team. I'm kind of hard to, you know, argue deny. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. I mean, the Spurs are the Spurs, so... Once you realize that it takes two to tango and you just start trusting this guy, life's going to be so much easier as a Blazer fan because he waited, Azili fell into his lap, he had patience, and we scooped him up and we still have room to sign all of our free agents. Speaking of, Alan Crabb just received a four-year, what was it, Sage? $75 million offer from the Brooklyn Nets. There's a trade kicker at the end of year four. There's a player option for year four. Uh, if incentives are met, it could go up to $83 million total. Um, Portland received it tonight, Thursday. So they have three full days, I believe, starting Friday. So we might hear something Monday morning or Sunday night. Usually the team that is has the ability to match or reject takes up the full, full allotment of days. And you want to tie up the other team's money just for making your life a living hell. Um, Jason Quick mentioned that the Brooklyn Nets promised him a starting spot and that he doesn't want to come back to Portland if he's coming off the bench. Uh, yes, he is a 23, 24-year-old kid who played pretty admirably after those first two games of the playoffs 
average, what, 10, 11 points off the game or per game and showed signs of just being a knockdown shooter, but that's a lot of Skrilla for a backup player. Without a doubt, man. I mean, what would you do if you're Neil O'Shea and Paul Allen? What do you do? You have three days. You have 72 hours. I do my due diligence. And by due diligence, what do you mean? I'd probably chill for a while, ask about a sign-and-trade, and I know what I really want on that team. I don't know if they can do a sign-and-trade once he's signed to the actual oh. offer sheet. Well, that sucks. I uh, That's a lot of money, man. I probably would let him just go and wish him luck. That's a lot of money for a backup guard. To play devil's advocate, though. We are going to be in salary cap hell regardless of whether we take this or not because you still got Myers Leonard who can either take the qualifying offer or match whatever offer he gets. We still have Mo Harkless who the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder all of a sudden have a, a gaping hole at small forward and look who would be pretty fantastic for them there. You know he's going to get a big deal and you know Sam Presti would love to stick it to Neil Olshay after he gave Anis Cantor a maximum offer last summer. And then you've got Mason Plumley's potential extension next summer and CJ McCollum's extension. So both of those guys can either be extended by, I think, October 31st, or they can become restricted free agents next next free agency period. And it's bottom line, Portland is not going to have any cap space. They will not. I don't think there's any player on the market that they could really be like, okay, let's let Krabs $2 million cap hold walk and we can pick somebody up. There, there's nobody left. And I, I, I just don't imagine – I mean, Neil O'Shea saw four assets. Robin Lopez, Nick Batum, Wesley Matthews, and LaMarcus Aldridge. Five, Aaron Aflalo, just leave. We did not get any compensation for any of those players last, last offseason. Yeah, it turned out well because players like Alan Crabb stepped up and, and, you know, filled that void. Now, if you're the Blazers, you know, brass, do you feel like Pat Connaughton can really take the reins and play – Alan Crabb type minutes. I mean, he showed a little bit of promise towards the end of the season, but I don't think anybody regarded Connaughton as the type of prospect that we did Alan Crabb, who was the Pac-12 player of the year coming out of Cal. Also, Crabb is still young, but he's got a lot of NBA experience. I believe he'll be going into his fourth NBA season. If all things go to shit, you still have a tradable asset. Mm -hmm. Contracts like these are not going to be out of the blue where you just, oh my god, I can't trade this Rashard Lewis Albatross contract that I've just signed. He will be able to be moved within, I think, six months or 90 days um, if, if things go to shit. And then you have to move him. So I guess if I'm Neil, option one is I, I, I pick up the phone to the Sacramento Kings and I say, what do you want for Ben McLemore? Can I just take him off your hands for for um, a couple second round picks or something like that? Because I think Macklemore has the talent to become what Crab is right now. Crab might eventually be the better player, but the difference is not what Macklemore makes versus what Crab makes. I mean, there's there's no. Yep. And he he like the the knock on him was he was naive uh, regarding the people in his life. I'd honestly be willing to give him a shot just be based on the potential that he has. He's also in Sacramento. Sacramento's, you know, we talk Awful. about Philadelphia being a place where careers like go to rot. Sacramento's the Philadelphia of the West, man. So I would, I would call Sacramento and say, hey, can we get Ben, ben McLemore? If not, you match. It is a tough pill to swallow, but we have the richest owner in, MB, in the NBA, 
And like I said, if he starts to cause a fuss or if things just aren't working, that is a tradable contract. Mm-hmm. Four years for $19 million, yeah, it sounds like a lot, but that's, that's an asset. Portland has let too many assets walk through the door without getting anything in return, and they've done this over the course of their history. Um, we saw it with, with Greg Oden. We saw it with Brandon Roy. I know injuries played a part there, too. Um, it, it's just too many. Like, I want to start seeing us get either something in return for them or we keep them. So I think he's still a great player. If you don't keep Alan Crabb, who is going to be your shooter off the bench? Who's going to be that third guard? Because you've got Evan Turner taking most of his time up a small forward. That three-guard rotation worked out pretty damn nicely last year. Yeah, I, I mean, man. I honestly don't know what I would do if I was Neil. That's a, it's a, it's a shitty situation either way. It really is. So so if we don't match, we better have a, a, a contingency plan immediately. You need to get a shooter off the bench with some potential. Crab played pretty good defense, and he was that knockdown shooter off the bench. Um, that's just the nature of the NBA. Like Shit got, shit got real this summer. Mm-hmm. They opened they opened up the floodgates with that TV money, and now it's getting stupid. I mean, we could get a lockout. Who knows? In the next year or two, there, there's been speculation about that. But the, the the fact of the matter is, this is the reality we're in. Twenty million is no longer Kobe Bryant money. Twenty million is now. Oh, there's a young guy with potential, and I have a shit ton of cap space to fill. I need to win some games. Let's go out and get him. It's Ryan Anderson money. And. What was the worst signing in free agency, in your opinion? Oh, my God. I mean, there were so many. So, so I think this is going to be like the most regrettable GM summer in history. The first one that stuck out to me, and it was the first signing that made official, the Lakers went out and got Timothy Moskov for $16 million a year for four fucking years. This dude did not play in the finals hardly at all. How many minutes in the most positive light? How many minutes a game is he playing? 20? 25? Based on matchups? I mean, I do, you're giving this dude $16 million. I'll take Azili on his shoddy knees, if they are indeed shoddy, for half of that, which we are. We I mean, gave I, I, Omer Ashik so much shit this year. That contract looks so much better than I mean, Mosgos. it's still a shitty contract. His Ashik, I think, has just gone down the crapper since Thibodeau left him. But that's neither here nor there. But it's I think one of the worst like, contracts. They, so, they say he's going to do the Bogut role. There's no way he's going to do the Bogut role. Bogut's such an intelligent passer. Um, I think other bad contracts out there, the Knicks giving Joakim Noah $18 million, did they not see how broke down he was? This dude reminds me of the, the, the center version of Gerald Wallace. Mm-hmm. He gives you everything for like seven or eight years. And he just doesn't have anything left in the tank. I mean, the dudes took a beating. He's always played with energy and hustle. When your game is based upon energy and hustle and not skill, I'm not saying he's not a skilled player, but his calling card was just wanting it more than the other dude. You can, you only have so much fuel left in your tank, and I think his is on empty. And the Knicks are paying him $18 million. Um, that was a huge no-no for me. And with the shoulder injury, too. The, yeah, I mean, he's banged up. Any, any other deals stick out in your mind? Those are the two main ones because I don't think they're talented. 
I know people will say Harrison Barnes, but I think the whole Harrison Barnes isn't a good basketball player joke has gone a little too far. He actually... I don't don't know, man. He was missing wide open. I mean, he looked like he almost had the yips in the finals. If you can't score when you're getting shots in Golden State's offense off of looks from Curry and Clay and Draymond, what are you going to do in Dallas when Darren Williams is is your point guard and... Old man Dirk. They're running isos for Dirk, and your man's not going to double down. I mean, there might be one one or two two nights a month where Dirk goes off, and yeah, you're getting doubled, and Barnes is wide open. But, you know, Wesley's not scaring anybody anymore with the way he performed last year. The defender's going to stay locked on him. There's just, or the defender's not going to worry too much about him. He's not going to get his looks. I mean, the Mavericks are the biggest, like, conundrum to me in the NBA. I love the fact that they're loyal to Dirk Nowitzki, and I would hope the Blazers would do the same with Dame down the line. And I know he wants to be at least a somewhat competitive team, but it really feels like this move with Barnes just, like, sucks them down. Um, They needed a max player, and I think they reached. Um, Yeah, they might fight for the playoffs with Bogut if he can stay healthy and Barnes. I actually do like that Seth Curry signing they got for him. I don't know why the Kings... So I don't like things let him go. He's got some potential. Um, but again, they'll be fighting for the eighth seed, and they are in a worse position. They are almost in the worst position possible. They're not bad enough to get a lottery pick, and they are not a free agent destination. You want to talk about teams getting left at the altar and Portland being up there. Dallas is number one. They have struck out on so many guys, whether it's Darren Williams or Dwight Howard, um, Hassan Whiteside this year, DeAndre Jordan the year before. I mean, they they just can't reel them in. And this is this isn't a big media market. This is in in Texas. Uh, Mark Cuban is your owner. Dirk is a franchise player. I mean, they've got a lot going for them, and they're not able to do it either. I mean, it's not as easy as the Warriors just made it look. It's just not. Um, if we're talking about contracts, though, um, two that stick out to my mind. They're both courtesy of the Memphis Grizzlies. Mike Conley making. Oh God, I forgot him. And Chandler maxing out Chandler Parsons. I mean, that is the ultimate, like, Red Cross lineup. You've got Conley, Parsons, Randolph, and Gasol. When 37-year-old Zach Randolph is probably your most durable player, you've got some fucking problems, man. Yeah. Have there been any great signings to you? Oh, great signings. I love that Cole Aldrich signing to, by the, the Timberwolves, getting him for 7 or $8 million. He's going to be a perfect backup big. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talented. He can, yeah, he can maybe even start. He was one of the guys I had on my my radar. Um, it's tough. I mean, they're, they're just not a lot. I think Jared Bayless, uh, where did Bayless end up? When uh, the New York Knicks rescinded Langston Galloway, I wanted the Blazers to jump on that shit so fucking badly. So fucking badly. That's been my low-budget guard forever. I wanted that so bad. But the Pelicans got him for like three years. It's 18 mil, which I like. Oh, it was actually the 76 with Jared Bayless, who I actually like what the Sixers are doing. They're not spending a ton of money on guys like Harrison Barnes, which who, who we thought they would do. They're trying to build somewhat of a culture, and by bringing veterans in there, they brought Gerald Henderson in for two years at eighteen million. Love I love that. that. 
He is going to start for them. He's going to show those young kids what it takes to be a professional in the locker room day in and day out over the course of the 82-game grind. I think Jared Bayless on a three-year, $27 million deal is a fantastic steal. Uh, the is Duke he going to be their starting guard, though? I mean, he's got to be. I mean, they've got no point guard. Yeah, Ish Smith is in Detroit, I think. So I love what the, the Sixers are doing. Um, you know, there's rumors that Dario Sarch might not come over after all, and now they've still got the, the Embiid-Okafor-Noel situation they have to figure out. Um, but just in terms of a culture, they're starting to finally get an identity, and I think that's very key in getting those young teams to turn to turn everything around. And that's the first step. Um, Do you think Sarge will be any good? To be quite honest with, with foreign players, it is a flip of a damn coin, in my opinion. It's so hard to tell. They can look so good. And it's just it's hard to see what skills translate into the into the NBA. I see he, the player comp I see for him because I watched a little bit of his game. Jeff Green, are you excited about Jeff Green? No. Yeah. He Fifteen million for one year. I Jeff Green and also, what in the goddamn hell are the Clippers doing? They get Jamal Crawford was a terrible signing. Three years, forty-two million dollars for a thirty-six-year-old player. Um, they essentially brought back their entire team except Wesley Johnson and Cole Aldrich. They're not getting any better. No, they're just uh, going to stay the same until they suck. going to stay the same. We're talking about contracts. I like I like Jeremy Lin going to the Brooklyn Nets. I think that's a, a great way to not only get people in the seats because of Lin Sanity. He's been a, everyone talks about Lin Sanity, but he never completely fell off the, fell off no, the map. No, man. He's a strong basketball player. Like, he's a good, solid player, and I think they got him at like twelve million a year. He was going to go to New Orleans, except he wanted eleven. New Orleans wanted ten, so he went to Brooklyn for twelve. So props to him. But if we're talking about teams, it, it, it's hard not to just look at the Houston Rockets and just shake your head. <laughs> I know, I know you love Ryan Anderson with all your heart, but. Uh, a stretch four who can shoot threes is, is not what they needed. They need somebody who's going to play a, a lick of defense. And then to top it all off, they're going to go out and get Eric Gordon. Because cause why not? You know, Eric Gordon and, and James Harden can totally be a, a functioning backcourt in today's NBA. Yeah, especially since Eric Gordon has no athleticism whatsoever. What was the team? So we're talking about winners and losers I think the Rockets are the big loser. I think they take a massive step back. Is there any team, like, during this offseason, you're like, you got to keep your eye on it. Like, okay. Like, uh, my eyes are open now. It really depends. I I like what Brooklyn did if they get grabbed. I still don't think they're going to be, even in the East, I don't think they're going to be competitive. I, I think that the making right steps. I like their the people running their franchise. Well, yeah, making the right steps doesn't involve trading, like, multiple years of picks for KG Paul Pearson. <laughs> that was you the know? dumbest fleece thing ever. But if we're talking about teams... I, I oh, Indiana. I like them, too. Indiana had a pretty good offseason. I'll give you that. But for Blazer fans freaking out really on, I don't think there's many freaking out right now after Azili. Outside of the Warriors, and we'll touch on this in a bit, no, so you've got the Warriors and the Thunder. Obviously, opposite ends of the spectrum. Warriors got incredibly better. The Thunder may not even make the playoffs. Outside of those two teams, I think there were a lot of losers this free agency period, and I don't think a lot of teams got much better. 
And one of the teams, if I'm a fan of, and I'm sitting, sitting there, like, reading these, these signings and scratching my head, is the Chicago Bulls. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't get how Rondo, Dwayne Wade, and Jimmy Butler are all going to cooperate together. Each one of them believes they are the alpha male. Each one of them needs the ball in their hands. Butler, I think he's a good second second star to have. I don't think he's really a number one. Wade still thinks he's number one, but he can't. He doesn't have anything left in the tank. And Rondo, for a player who had so much, not not hype, but his his value, like those last couple Celtics years. He had so much value. It's just like a triple-double machine. And it's almost like the NBA just flipped the script and was like, if you can't shoot at the point guard position, you're trash. You're not worth anything. For whatever reason, that happened, and his career went to shit. He clashed with Rick Carlisle in Dallas. He had uh, an un- uh, a very forgettable season in, in Sacramento with the-, the Kings. And now he's going to the Bulls. I mean, Who's you trade. The they-, they can't. They, they don't have any three-point shooting. And if you're a Bulls fan and you go from Tom Thibodeau and Joakim Noah and Derrick Rose and Pau Gasol and you're really a threat to make the Eastern Conference Finals every year, let's not forget, even with Fred Hoiberg coming in, this is a team projected to be the second-best team in the East, and they missed the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. If you're a Bulls fan, like, what, what are you doing? You're being super delusional about your team, talking yourself into Rondo and Wade. And if I, if I was the Bulls, I would have not signed Rondo. I would have not signed Wade. I, I think the Rose trade was okay. Robin Lopez is a good a good big on actually a pretty good contract. Now that you look about it, look at it, I would have moved Jimmy Butler. The the Celtics were How willing to. How can you feel confident in his team? They were trying to trade him the entire draft. That's what the rumor said, though. The Bulls came out and said, "Hey, we never offered him." Like people right. were talking. So that's where you can't get it twisted. If you're Butler or if you're the media. You just you have to tune that out and maybe just have a heart-to-heart talk with them and see what really happened because we know a lot of the rumors we hear are dead the moment they're mentioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just might have been passing by. But if I was the Bulls, I would have moved Butler for the Celtics. They not only had the third pick in the draft, which you could have got your point guard and Chris Dunn, but they own Brooklyn's pick. And I'm sure they could have got more. They could have got Brooklyn's pick next year, which is unprotected. And they could maybe got like Avery Bradley. I think that's a great way to start over because the 2017 draft is supposedly loaded. You do shitty this this next year. You've got your three pick. You got whatever pick you get this year, and you got Brooklyn's pick. That's how you rebuild really quickly. Now they are just going to be muddling in the waters in the Eastern Conference, and nobody's going to give them the time of day. Okay, since we didn't even address the draft because I was road tripping. What was the? Who were the big losers in that? I mean, I can't even. From, um, to be honest, the free agency period has just engulfed me. It, it's hard to even think there was. There, it's hard to even think there was an NBA draft. I mean, two weeks ago, Jalen Brown at three made me laugh so hard. The thing about this draft, though, is outside of Simmons, everybody can bust. Even Simmons has bust potential. Mm-hmm. And, and you're looking up and down the draft, and I was even thinking, I was like, okay, what if the Blazers traded Aminu to the Kings for the eighth pick? Who would I want? They're just hypothetical bullshit like that. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't be comfortable with hardly any player who I thought might be there at eight. Um, I wanted them to trade into the second round. I wanted Gary Payton the second. I was pretty pissed off we didn't get him. Um, we actually took a player, Jake Lehman from Maryland, 
who I had never heard of. I no, follow, the same here. I follow college basketball pretty closely, and I never heard of this kid. But you know, I'll trust Neil on this one. They signed him to a three-year deal, so he's not going anywhere. Looks like he's a three-four swing forward who can shoot the three. I mean, if if you can shoot, you got a skill set in this league. Um, so we'll see how he looks. Um, DJ but, was my guy if the Blazers traded in. Who? Demetrius. That was my yeah. See, I, I thought there was a lot of value in that second round. Um, you look at Deontay Davis, who went um, – he, he was in the green room, and he fell to the first pick of the second round. I mean, that's a guy who I would have liked to move up to. But, again, Boston gave up two second-round picks for Memphis's first-round pick. I don't know if I'd be willing to give up a future first for um, a guy in the second round, even as much as I liked him in this particular draft. Like you said, Demetrius Jackson I really liked. Um if Denzel Valentine had slipped, that's the guy who I wanted. But it's just a really a really weird draft. It's going to be a draft where we look back in five years. I think if you're going to make a top five of this draft, probably the majority of those best top five are going to be out of the lottery. I, I listened to the entire draft on the radio because I was on the way to Chicago. So I kept hearing the announcers say, there's not much depth in the 15 to 20 range, but there's a lot in the second round, it, why can't we just move some of those guys in the second round into the later part of the first? I don't get it, but the draft I, is a beast. I think it's just a way of thinking for these GMs. They think if they get a first-round pick, they need to hit a home run. They don't believe that players can still progress after being four years in college, and it's almost taboo that you're a senior. And you look at a guy overseas and oh, there's just intrigue because maybe nobody's seen as much or there's not as much scouting on him, and you have that feeling that, he, oh, he could be the next Petrovich or he could be the next Nowitzki or Sabonis. Uh, it, you just get lost in that. And there's also the sense of, oh, we'll, we'll just draft and stash him so he won't affect our cap. And just a lot of ins and outs and um, things like that just get in, into play. And I think a lot of good players slip through the cracks. Like. Yeah. I don't know how Gary Payton II doesn't get drafted. He was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Um, Demetrius Jackson fell way too far. I mean, he was if, like top ten on my list, personally. And he was a, a very a solid player at Notre, at Notre Dame, like for like um, multiple years. Like they beat Duke in North Carolina twice in two years. No other team has ever done that. And Demetrius was running point. Um. That Paul Serger guy from the, the Chicago draft, and I thought the Blazers were going to pick him. But. I mean, you just, just a lot of players. A lot of depth, but hey, man, it happens. It, there's always going to be guys that fall down to the 40s. That, like every draft, there's going to be one top 10 guy that's a, a second-round pick. It's just you have to hope that you're the smartest guy. And so actually a big trade, there's two things I want to touch on the draft. I don't really think there's a, a big winner. Um, I think Philadelphia got Ben Simmons. That's, that's a win. Um, I think it's a win if you needed a guard. I think Murray healed um, Jalen Brown to an extent. He can play the, the two or three. I think those guys can help. I, I like the Murray to uh, Denver trade. I think it, him and Emmanuel will be a really nice combo. So I get. I think I think there is one winner: the Phoenix Suns, outside of the Sixers. Shout they, out they to Espo. A, they shout out to Espo. They took a risk getting Bender at four. 
they somehow fleeced the Kings into moving down five spots at 13 for a late 20s pick, and they took the other stretch four, Marquise Chris, who w- was rumored to go maybe as high as number three. So it's not necessarily I like the players they drafted, but I like the value they got. I probably wouldn't have went for two stretch fours and hope that one works out. Um, they got a Trey Tyson now, right? They, I mean, it's a terrible contract, um, but... I mean, if I was them, I probably would have taken a guy like a Chris Dunn who's going to set up a Dunn-Booker backcourt. looks pretty Ooh. dang good looking forward. And then you've got Marquise Chris or Dragon Bender at that eighth pick. Um, not to mention teams would have been throwing a ton of offers at you for Dunn because he was reportedly the guy everybody wanted in that draft. He was so, number one on my list. Exactly. So the Suns were a big winner. We also saw a huge trade, which really was – should have been, I guess, a precursor of what was to come for free agency when the Thunder, who I thought absolutely fleeced Please the Orlando Magic, they sent Serge Ibaka, who has been declining for the past three years, if you look at his numbers. And keeps moving out to the perimeter to shoot. And is an unrestricted free agent next year. To the Orlando Magic, they got back Victor Oladipo, Irsan Ilyasova, and the number 11 pick, which they took uh, Sabonis from Gonzaga. Um, whether or not you think Sabonis is going to pan out or not, the 11th pick in the draft, a lottery pick, plus Victor Oladipo and Ilyasova, insane value for Ibaka. I mean, I, I know Oladipo can't shoot, but he's still an athletic wing who has time to figure it out. And uh, he and Russ... Solid, solid. Ursan's a good stretch four. I know he's kind of fell on some tough times after putting up really good production years in Milwaukee. But, you know, Westbrook and Oladipo might be the most athletic backcourt in the game, and they have potential to be menaces defensively. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at Boston with Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley, this might be the West Coast version of that Mm -hmm. in terms of just getting after you and making your life a living hell. Um, I thought for sure that would keep Durant in in, in Oklahoma City. Again, we're waiting to to talk on that. We're going to continue to talk on the draft. But... Just almost the storylines for me. You've got Thon Maker who goes 10. Absolutely bananas. People are looking at Reddit, Australian yearbooks. Is this guy 23? Is he 19? I still don't know. Um, I don't mind the Bucks line of thinking. I really hope for their sake that he's 19 so there's more room to grow. They hit a home run with Giannis three years ago. Milwaukee, like Portland, very small market. Sometimes doubles and singles ain't going to get it done, especially when you're in LeBron's conference. They had to go for a home run. I don't mind the pick. But the ultimate just shake your head team is the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Why do you move down five spots and take Giorgios Papagianis from from Greece? And you piss off your star player in the process. And this has nothing to do with the fact that I've never heard of Georgios. It has everything to do with the fact it was a shitty value trade. You already have Willie Cauley-Stein, Costa Kufos, and DeMarcus Cousins as forward centers. Most likely they all should play center. And you draft this 7-2 kid from, from Greece. I, I don't know what this team is doing. Failing. Failing so hard. I mean, I would just be... At my wit's end if I was a Kings fan. I mean, I guess at this point they're just happy their team is sticking around after that close encounter with moving to Seattle. But, boy. Dummies. Rough night for for, for Greece. 
So, Sage, you mentioned you were on a road trip during the draft. Perfect time to listen to some some books. Did you pick any up on Audible.com recently? Well, I made my brother listen to Breaks of the Game the entire way from, like, Wyoming to Seattle. So I definitely re-listened to the Breaks of the Game. It's a fantastic book about the 1978-79 the Blazers. And it's good, just good to remember, like, how this team is formed, how, like, there were so much struggles for players to earn money, and today, like, Ken Baysmore made, like, $70 million. All these players made so much money when Maurice Lucas was fighting for, like, $200,000. It's also pretty interesting to see how Portland had Moses Malone in their grasps, let him go. Uh, the TV deals, how the NBA was never really shown in the 70s on tape delay, and now it's you know the TV deal is the reason why this cap spiked up. So, Sage, tell our listeners how they can take advantage of our special offer with Audible.com. You go, for you first-time Audible users, you go to www.audibletrial.com slash holybackboard for your free book download. So that's www.audibletrial.com audibletrial.com slash holybackboard for your free audiobook. All right, Sage, it's time to uh, go on a bit of, of a rant right here because we've put it off a long, long enough. Somehow, someway, Kevin Durant signed a two-year deal with the Oklahoma or the Golden State Warriors. I mean, I still am thinking of him as, as a member of the Thunder. Um... I thought if he was going to leave at first, it would be to Boston to go east. As the days kept going and he kept not coming to the Thunder, you knew something was up. Mm-hmm. My wife woke me up on the floor and said, hey, Durant chose the Warriors. I just kind of rolled over and just threw up my hands like, fuck it. Like, it was the exact same feeling I had when Braun joined the Heat. You just know that nobody's winning the title for the next three four years if these dudes don't choke each other out. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. They have arguably the most talented roster in NBA history. How do you make a 73-win team this much better? This shouldn't happen. Can you imagine playing 2K online and having to defend that team? Oh, no. If you're playing 2K online and the guy chooses the Warriors, that's, nope, back out, let's go again. Don't be a cheeser. That is the most cheese team you could possibly be how do you stop them not even in actual basketball how do you stop them in 2k so i have obviously got a lot of strong feelings about this let them have on, it. On both parties i think both parties very lame you've got the warriors who were up 3-1 with two games left at at, the, at their home Roracle arena one of the most intimidating places to play where they had only lost what, three times all season, including the playoffs? They blew it. They still, I mean, they still should have won the title. They won 73 games and didn't win a ring, and now they're all panicking, and everyone's saying, oh, it's okay for Durant to go there because you didn't win a championship. Bullshit. You, it, you were the first team to lose a 3-1 lead. It just doesn't happen. LeBron went super nuclear on you. It, it, I just don't, I think if you played out that series 10 more times, Maybe once Cleveland actually wins that. I mean, a lot of things broke right for Cleveland. And to say, like, oh, my God, we need so much more help. 
to, to get over the hump, um, I, I think it's unnecessary. Um, on one hand, you know, you do commend Draymond, Clay, and Steph for putting their pride aside and saying, hey, Kevin, we want to play with you. We're willing to take a lot less. Um, and I guess you should, should applaud them for that. But on the other hand, as a competitor, I mean, you've got your squad, you drafted them, you've already won a championship. It's not like you're trying to chase, you know, chase something that you haven't got and trying to get over the hump. You've won the title before and you just set the record for regular season victories. And you're trying to get Kevin Durant. Like, it just feels like you're playing 2K and you want to be the best team ever. And it just nothing like winning by 10 won't satisfy. You got to win by 20, got to win by 30. And then let, let's talk about Kevin Durant. This is a team you had down 3-1. You had that game six. You were up seven, three minutes to go. I mean, you, you had these boys buried in the grave. All you were doing is just getting ready to put the tombstone on them. You blew the game. And Durant had a lot to do with that. He missed a lot of shots. And you're going to tell me that you're going to leave your team, which, to be honest, I don't care if they left the Thunder. The Thunder stole the team from Seattle. Could care less they left OKC. It's the fact that he went to the team that beat him mm-hmm. and created a super team to do that. And the fact that he said that going to Golden State was the hardest uh-huh. road possible during his press conference, gag me. I lost so much respect for the Warriors and for Kevin Durant during this process. Uh, I know a lot of people are going to say, Dustin, the NBA has been run by super teams and really only 10 teams have won a championship over the course of 30 years. You know, you're right. But Isaiah Thomas never left the Pistons to join the Celtics because he couldn't get over the hump in the the mid to late 80s. Jordan never left the Bulls to go to the Pistons because he couldn't beat that bad boy squad. Yes, there are some great teams that were built. I know the Showtime Lakers, they signed Kareem, what, in the late 70s? But they drafted Magic, they drafted Worthy, they made it smart, they made smart trades, drafted AC Green. You, you look at the Celtics, they drafted Bird, they made that amazing draft day trade to get Parrish and McHale, and they added role players. Jordan's Bulls never added anyone of any really relevance. I know people will look at Dennis Rodman, but he was looked as a castaway in, after his years in San Antonio. I mean, this was not the same Dennis Rodman who was the defensive player of the year with the Pistons. Uh, he didn't really get along with David Robinson and the Spurs culture, and he was deemed uncoachable. Uh, uncoachable. You know, it happened to work with Phil, but even then, Rodman really wasn't an offensive threat. I mean, you were Jordan and Pippen and role players. They were just better than everybody else, and I think that's why I didn't have a problem with them winning every year. Obviously, I was rooting against them. I wanted my team to win, but it wasn't like wasn't like they were stacking the deck in their favor by going out and getting these these studs. I mean, that would be the equivalent of the Shaq and Kobe Lakers being like, man, you know what? We really could use a power forward or a wing. Let's see if Kevin let's see if Kevin Garnett or Tim Duncan are, are available in free agency and adding them. It, it really just feels like there's no chance. I mean, I'm having fun with the Blazers in, the, in this offseason and seeing how much better we can get, but it's going to take not a minor miracle. It's going to take a major miracle for this Warriors team not to win. And... To me, Durant's titles are going to be tainted. I know people are saying oh, no titles can be tainted. And, you know, it's, it's a championship through and through. Fuck that. He wins one in Oklahoma City. It's, it's going to mean the world to him, just like it did LeBron in Cleveland. I'm sure LeBron really liked those two we got in Miami, but he would trade those any day of the week for the one he just won for his city. And that, that franchise he put on the back, he was the face of that franchise. He, he was the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
Like he came with them one year after. Like he and Russ were that team, and he, and he left them. And I understand why he left. I don't understand why he went to the Warriors. I think that's the easiest way, easiest route possible. I think it's a cop out. And I think a lot of NBA players feel the same way. Like as a competitor, you don't do that. You you look at his tweets. As soon as Baron signed in Miami, he he had a tweet that said, "Now everybody want to sign with the Heat of the Lakers. Like we're all these competitors at. Let's go get these boys." I mean, just ultimate flip flop. And if you have time, I really recommend going to ESPN and reading Royce Young, who covered the the Thunder for ESPN. He did an amazing in-depth article on that whole process on Durant. And you read it, and this is not knocking Durant, not criticizing him. He is not the alpha I once thought. He's not this, this, I guess, this basketball assassin that I thought could put something on his back and just be willing to take everything um, he, he he's almost more Lamarcus. Like he's got a little bit of, of, of diva to him. If you read that, and um, you know he wants help, and that, that's fine. But you're never going to be looked at in the same light as, as Kobe or LeBron or Michael or Magic because they wanted they wanted to be the guy. They wanted to lead that team to the title. You wanted you wanted help. Like there's nothing wrong with asking for help in, in sports. But if you're supposedly the former MVP in the prime of your career and a, and a top 25 player of all time, you shouldn't do that. I mean, if, if you want to go to to Boston, cool. Um, San Antonio, I guess I wouldn't have. That makes sense to me because you already beat them. Um, I don't know why you don't sign a one year deal with the Thunder and give it one last shot. You were so close. Um, I mean, he he must really want championship rings, but I don't think they're gonna make him as happy as he thinks because it, to me it feels like I used to play NCAA football before they outlawed the game due to all of, all the copyright issues. I would be the Ducks, whether whether they were good or bad, whatever version of the game, and you build them up and you get recruits and you get all the five star recruits and you start winning every game year after year after year in this dynasty. You're in dyna- year ten, you've got like eight or nine championships. It gets tired. It gets boring. Like, I know for the first couple of years, Warrior fans will probably be stoked on it. But if they're just killing teams, like not even making games close, you know, at what point are people going to start losing interest? Like, I know it's good for the league right now, and everyone's going to be, everyone's going to be talking about this Warriors team next year. Like, it's going to be the Heatles probably times two or three. It's going to be insane. But after a while, people are going to, they're going to lose interest. And whether you like the NFL or not, there's parity there and different teams win each year. Same thing with baseball. There's no salary cap in baseball, but different teams win every year. And I guess it's, it's also due to the sport football. You've got what 11 guys on each side of the ball, 55 man roster, baseball, nine players, a pitcher only pitches every five days. It's hard for one individual to dominate like they do in basketball where one, one player can really set the the landscape like Jordan did. So I understand that, but at the same time, it's, you have a little hopelessness and you have a lot of hate, not like hate as in, you know, I'm hateful, but hate as in haterade. Like you're rooting for the Warriors to lose every single game. Just like I was those heat teams. I didn't want them to win. I didn't want them to feel vindicated or validated for, for what they did. And, uh, so that's really, I mean, I know I spoke on that for a while, but Sage, what were your thoughts when you found out that he was going to Golden State? Oh, fuck. That's all. I mean, 
it's a fucking bummer, man. To, to see that that it's just going to be super unfair for minimum two years. It's kind of like... Like, to see the Blazers play this shit so smart, it's piece by piece, building this team. And then to see the Warriors just sign the biggest, best dude, it's kind of... It's kind of disheartening, but you summed that up so well, man. You- One, I very much appreciate that, and I completely agree with what you're saying. It is like you, the Warriors built that team. Like I give them all the credit in the world for sticking with it. They they drafted Steph. They they signed him to a great deal, even when he he was deemed to have really chronic ankle injuries. They drafted extremely smart in getting Clay Thompson at the end of the lottery. Um, Harrison Barnes was a very nice role role player. Uh, they drafted Festus and Draymond Green uh, in that 2012 draft with Barnes. Traded Monte Ellis for Bogut. Uh, their big free agent acquisition of all the things was Andre Iguodala, very solid role player. And then they built that bench. You know, they brought in Sean Livingston after um, not really having a point guard. Like the Jarrett Jack helped them beat the Nuggets in 2013 and really give the Spurs uh, a good scare. But they lost Jack, and they went a year without having a backup point guard, and they brought in Livingston to fill that void. Um, you get Barbosa, and you know they make a great decision in bringing in Steve Kerr and Luke Walton and sending Mark Jackson back to, to broadcasting. So even though I really disliked the team because of the way they started acting, you really respected the way they built that franchise. It was almost like the Spurs, just very smart drafting, and just you know they're hitting one right after another. And now it's just like... I mean, you're left speechless because you have that great team. And then they go out and sign Durant. I just didn't think it was necessary. To me, if you're going, and this would never happen, if you're going to tell me that Chris Paul can't go to the Lakers for basketball reasons, quote unquote, why is this allowed? Well, free agency. Well, I thought it would never happen, but the last CBA was meant it was supposed to not let this happen again, mm-hmm. and it keeps happening. Um, I think Adam Silver is a little bit to blame, too. You cannot let the salary cap rise this much in one year. Yeah, the dramatic rise and then an it's $8 million dollar fall next year. Yeah, it's just a shit show. Um, but, you know, going back to the Warriors, why there's this feel of, of hopelessness, Clay Thompson is 26. Kevin Durant's 27. Steph Curry's 28. Draymond Green is 26. I mean, I think only two of those four players, Durant and Curry, are in the primes of their career right now. Um, I mean, they've got a chance to really run this shit for a while, and it's it's a bummer because of the way it was built. I mean, just this one free agency acquisition when they didn't need it. They had already... Like, I don't get why people can't see. They've already won 73 games. They set the single-season record. This team was already fucking loaded. And then you're adding Durant. It just feels like, you know, you just do the shruggy. Just like... It's crazy that your fourth best player is arguably the best shooting guard in the league. Or second best. Yep. I mean, they, they have a case that they could have four starters in the All-Star game. Each one of those players could be at least second-team All-NBA. Um, 
I think we're looking, I mean, I, barring injuries, it's Warriors Cavs rubber match next June. Um, you just got to hope that Tyron Luce saves LeBron for that finals rest in the regular season as much as he can, and he can flip that switch again. Because we saw LeBron's like the Hulk. You don't want to make him angry. Don't stir that pot. Because when he wants to, he is the best player in the game, not Steph Curry. Yeah. But moving on from the Warriors a bit, looking at the other spectrum, Oklahoma City. Portland obviously is in their division. They would have been the heavy favorite to win the division had Durant came back and easily if Horford joined uh, joined the wagon as well. But they're left with just Westbrook. When you look at a team that had Serge Ibaka, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook, they only made it to the finals one time. They don't have any rings to show for that. They are going to go down as one of the biggest what-if teams in NBA history. The, one of the best teams that never got it done. Um, Blazer fans ha- hold those teams near and dear to their hearts. we got the early 90s and late 90s Blazers, um, and even the 78 team that fill in that, that, you know, fall into that category. One, it just goes to show you how precious the championship is done the right way. So I'm throwing that out there for, for the Warriors because I don't think Durant makes it any special or because that's just too easy. But a championship is so hard, even just getting there. So cherish it whenever you do get there. And two, where do you go now if you're Oklahoma City? Because we saw in 2015 when Durant was out for the rest of the season, they were fighting with your Pelicans for the eighth seed. And as supernova, whatever adjective you want to describe Russell Westbrook as, couldn't get it done. Couldn't even get his team in in the eighth seed. So if the team stays as they are, how far do you think they can go? Maybe the eighth seed, but I'd be looking, I'd be very active at the trade market for Russell Westbrook because he's made it pretty clear that he's not coming back. So I'd want to get something for him. So two questions. I'll let you answer the first one before asking the second one. So first question, how was Damian Lillard able to take, and I know they were two different years of Western Conference basketball, but regardless, Damian got his team to the playoffs, won a series with, I guess it would be fair to say, a ragtag bunch of nobodies who nobody really thought much of, but you know, Blazer fans knew what we had. But nobody was giving our guys really the the lie today. Why was Dane able to do it, but Russ couldn't get it done with you know he had a, a Baca at the time, he had Ennis Cantor, he had Stephen Adams, um, Roberson. Uh, he had talent. Why couldn't he get it done in 2015, and can he get it done with Oladipo and and can't I mean he's going to have almost the same core just just add Oladipo, take out Baca. I think that in 20-whatever year it was, 15, um, the West was stronger as a, as a whole. Like, the Rockets weren't disappointing. The Pelicans weren't disappointing. There was more depth in the, in the conference that year. And Russ, I mean, he went supernova, but he didn't really have anyone else. And other teams had other players stepping up. I think Dame is just... It, this year, you could say the teams that were good that the year before had really off years. I mean, the Pelicans were the most injured team. The Grizzlies were the second. The Rockets were super disappointing. So the Blazers took advantage of the circumstances surrounding them 
and the of the Thunder just didn't. But I think that maybe this year they'll fight for the eighth spot with teams like the Pelicans and the uh, maybe T Wolves and Jazz. Okay, so now that question's answered. You kind of talked about it, but what would you do with Russell Westbrook as he is an unrestricted free agent next summer? I got to get something for him. I don't know. Like, if he says he's willing to sign an extension this summer, do you do you, do, you do it? Yeah. But okay, so, so you lock him up if you can, but if you can't lock him up, you're looking to move him. He's too valuable. And he, uh, like, once that athleticism goes, if you sign him for that five year and he happens to have two knee surgeries in a season, that value is gone. So I would try and get something for him now. I mean, we talk about Joakim Noah and Gerald Wallace. He kind of falls in that same category as balls to the wall, relies on athleticism to just be one of the most physically imposing point guards we've ever seen. He's taken a toll. His body's taken a toll. How much more does he have left in that tank? Like Once you get to 30, that's usually the mark for NBA players to rely on athleticism. Um, he's not a great jump shooter, um, and he's going to be putting a lot more um, stress on himself. Yeah, weight on his shoulders, trying to carry that team, trying to get triple doubles every night. Uh, I think I, if he stays I, on the Oklahoma, yeah. he is like has to be a top two fantasy pick. But I, I think you got to trade him. When Chris Paul lost a lot of his athleticism, you could see that he has the smarts to be John Stockton. What? It, when Russ loses his athleticism, what's he going to be? Disappointing. Derrick Rose. Yeah, disappointing. I have to piss. I, <laughs> I just have to pee. The Thunder losing Durant obviously fucks everybody. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking specifically in the division, it makes the Northwest Division not as daunting um, you got up and coming teams like Denver, Utah, Minnesota, who I think all Im- improved their their teams. Uh, Denver added uh, Jamal Murray uh, and Malik Beasley to the draft. Um, they do, I think, have a log jam with that too. Like I mentioned, they have those two. They still have Gary Harris and Will Barton. Uh, they have a surplus of bigs. They need they're the almost like the Boston of the Western Conference. They need to take some assets and package them for some young piece who's ready to take the reins of that franchise because right now they just have I think a lot of good good pieces but they don't have anything that I'm like wow like C that plus team, to B minus guys right yeah it's got nobody that's like damn I watch out for him um, I think they'll be decent though uh, you look at Minnesota who has I think the best if, if we were doing a value and not obviously Dame Dame's number one in my heart Dame and CJ are, are one and two but if I, if I take those two out of it you're looking at almost like a trade value ranking. Carl Anthony Towns is the number one guy on the list because of what he can do at his age. Um, they add Tibbs. Hopefully he doesn't run Towns into the ground. But that team, like they got Chris Dunn. I mean, they still might get something Rubio. They're trying to unload Pekovich. But, you know, Andrew Wiggins. I mean, they're, they're a team that feels a little Oklahoma City light. Like that team built through the draft. They all came up together. Um I would not be surprised to see them in the playoffs. Utah traded their lottery pick, got a really solid veteran in George Hill. I don't know if he's going to knock anybody's socks off or be an upper echelon player, but solid. We saw, yeah, we saw the Jazz when even Shelvin Mack had good games. Like when that team just gets decent point guard play, they're, they're really tough to beat. Um, don't really like the addition of Joe Johnson. 
Uh, they already have Alec Burks, and they already have Rodney Hood. Uh, Joe Johnson washed up. Then they get Boris Diaw from the the Spurs. I think people are forgetting how bad Boris Diaw went when he went to the Charlotte Bobcats. Like he just lost it. Like he is a player who, if San Antonio is not going to keep you for whatever reason or another, don't pick him up. There's a reason why they don't want him. I think this has more to do with cap space, and I know it was for Paolo Sol, but Boris Diaw would scare me because you don't know what that guy is going to do with his body. Oh yeah, he's going to get fat. Um, and I, I mean, in his Phoenix Suns day, they called him Doris Diaw because he didn't want to shoot. That scares me too, and that's when Boris was a bad man. So, and. You got the Jazz, and I keep hearing people saying, oh, they're in that, that third tier of the West with Memphis, and I'm not buying it yet. They had enough talent to make show that. Me. you got to show me. One, there's rumors that Gordon Hayward wants out. I don't know how legit those are or not, but they don't even have a second option. They, 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 Gordon Hayward is a perfect third option. If he was on the Blazers, I would be floored because him, Damon, CJ, that's a great one, two, three. They don't even have a two, let alone a superstar to they go to. They have a bunch of threes. Yeah, and you just, like, Rodney Hood's got nice potential. Gobert, I thought, took a massive step back last year. Favors, he's our boob. He hasn't lived up to his, his draft type of the number two position. Um, that's just a weird bunch. Like, I know they play good defense and they have a good home court advantage, but you can't score 85 points a night and, and win games. Like, they need to find some offense. And, you know, I think they'll be good, and I think they'll be fighting for a playoff position, but... I still think Portland's. Um, I think Portland's above them, yep. and then you've got Oklahoma City. Um, Russ Oladipo, as we talked about, that's it's a good, strong backcourt defensively and athletically. They're not going to be shooting the three very much, especially if Roberson slides over to the three. They do have a, a, um, a hole to fill at the small forward. Uh, Singler's not the answer. Um, they have Sabonis and Cantor and Adams. Still a lot of good bigs, but I think this Durant thing really hurt their, their depth. Oh, yeah. Um, is, uh, I mean, it, it's tough. I, I like where Portland is. If we're talking about the Northwest Division, I still think Portland's the favorite. Um, they're a deep team. They're young, and I think they're hungry. Yep. So I think two more items of business to talk about. One, Portland had to waive Cliff Alexander to make room for Festus Azili's contract. Um, sad to see Cliff go. He was on the summer league roster. Was that number one overall high school recruit? I believe in 2014. Um, I think he'll get picked up just based on his potential. I mean, all the Blazers raved about him last year during practice. Hopefully, we can still bring him back if we do make a lopsided trade. Um, bring him back for the minimum. But I hope he lands on his feet somewhere. And, and two, you know, summer league practices not only start this week, but games start on. Saturday. So we've got games uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Tuesday. All are on NBA TV. We play, we're guaranteed, I think, a certain amount, but these are just our first three sets. They went to that random tournament, which it just goes on too long and too far, and I start stop losing interest, um, probably around the quarterfinals. Uh, but the Blazers start with Phoenix. That could be fun, especially if Devin Booker plays, but if not, you're getting a look at Dragon Bender and Marquise Chris. Um, they've got the Spurs. Um, they took, what, DeJounte Murray from Washington, who everyone thought was a steal. Um, and then you've got the Jazz, which I'm not really sure who's going to be playing in their summer league, maybe Trey Lyles. But definitely, if I was to say I want to watch one of those games Saturday, Sunday, or Tuesday, I'm watching that Phoenix Suns game. Absolutely. Because, 
And podcasters, including us, are going to get super excited about Pierre Jackson or Russ Smith. Or don't forget Chris Johnson, Portland Trailblazer legend. <laughs> One of my favorite centers ever. Uh, we're going to get really excited about them. Take it with a grain of salt. This, they're playing against people that aren't in the NBA. Like, there's a thing on Pierre Jackson that says he's the best player not in the NBA. So he's the 451st best player. It's still not moving any needles. So if if anyone besides... So d- be cautious about falling in love with random players, especially Pierre Jackson. So we've got on our roster Montero, Connaughton, Lehman, Bonley. We've got those four playing. Of those four or anybody else on the roster, who are you looking forward to watching the most? Who who needs to have a good summer for the Trailblazers? I think Bonley has to dominate. I think you're, if you're looking at one guy, it's definitely Noah Bonley. The ninth pick in the 2014 draft started the majority of the season at power forward. Really, this was his rookie year because he was hurt his original rookie year. Uh, he needs to show his stuff. And he did last year. That's where we saw that three-point range. Um, with Noah, don't necessarily look at the box score. Watch the games. See how he's making his decisions. Is he going quick and decisive, or is he thinking too much? Um, thinking too much has gotten him in trouble on the NBA court. And when he just goes and, and reacts, you, you see that talent and all the potential that he has built up in, in his game. So watch Noah, see if he starts to hit that that jump shot, um, if he is asserting himself, because he should, against this level of competition, he should be you know a standout player. Um, outside of Von Ley, you know, I think it, you really want to see a little bit of something from all those guys. Can Montero play with that reckless abandon? Uh, can Connaughton show more than he did last summer and continue to build on? I think he had a couple, I think he had a strong spring. He came in to play a few games, and he was hitting shots, but more impressively, he was taking the ball to the rack and finishing with um, some athleticism that I didn't know that he had for this um, level of play in the NBA. And then Jake Lehman, to be honest, I've never seen the kid play outside of a couple YouTube highlights. Um, can he shoot the ball? It, I remember we got a kid named John Diebler. He played with uh, Greg Oden and Mike Conley at Ohio State. We drafted him. He was They called him John Threebler. He was supposed to be this knockdown shooter, and he was in college kid could not throw it in the ocean in summer league. He never played a, a game for the Trailblazers, and it was just a complete, you know, yes, he was a second-round pick, but he just never did anything. This kid's build as a shooter. You know, what can he do? Is he a good pick-and-pop? Is he good rebounding? Um, just, just just, see what he's got. I think overall, just a, just a first glimpse. And again, like like my man said, don't go bazonkers if, if Noah drops 30 and 30. Don't you know, I don't know. Think the sky is falling if if he gets like five points and seven rebounds. It's summer league. Nick Batum looked lost in summer league and started every game for the fifty four and Blazers in twenty twenty oh nine. Jared Bayless was the MVP and now he's he's a journeyman. Um, so what player do you think Blazer fans will fall in love with? Chris Johnson. I'm going. I'm going Russ. I can't bring myself to say Pierre Jackson. Fuck Pierre Jackson. Oh, I guess, speaking of French point guards, we we added Bassey's new favorite player, Shabazz Napier, from the Orlando Magic. 
uh, former first-round pick of the Heat. If anybody LeBron's remembers, favorite. LeBron's favorite point guard coming out of UConn led them to the national championship. Uh, he's had a rough go of it, but one, his contract is really cheap for three years. Two, you know, he's from a big-time school. Like he won the national championship. He knows how to play. And three, we got the we we got one over the Orlando Magic last summer in Mo Harkless. I'm gonna roll Neil Olshay on this one and say it's gonna work out again. I mean, I know he's not gonna get maybe the chance that Harkless got because he's gonna be our our third string point guard, but we needed the third string point guard. Um, so it'll be nice to see a young guy who hopefully can can own that role and maybe you know step up when when need be. Um, I don't know if he's playing in summer league. I don't think he is, but it would have been nice. I just think- to. It's always cool for teams that you root for to have those players that have just the respect of NBA players because they went absolutely bonkers in the tournament. Like, remember when Kemba Walker wasn't that good? But he had respect from all NBA players because of what he did in college. Same, I think it's going to be the same thing with Shabazz Napier. He might not play... But he, pl- players and fans will respect what he did in college. So that's cool. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> so no surprise here. We're, we're going in on the hour 40 minutes. It's been, a, it's been three weeks since we've recorded. One more. We, we can't forget the fans. Um, over the course of, of this, this banter back and forth with you, we've answered a lot of the questions. Um, one of our, our loyal fans, uh, Kim Thrasher, asked us whether we – match or pass the Nets offer, you leaning towards pass, I'm leaning towards match. Ultimately, you cannot let an asset walk for nothing. Like I said, if shit hits the fan, trade him. He's still a tradable asset. I just I don't believe in letting assets go for nothing, especially when there's no chance at salary cap room this year or, or, or next year. So it's not affecting money-wise. It's whether Paul Allen wants to shell out that money and he is the, you know, I believe the richest owner in basketball. So hopefully he doesn't mind getting near that luxury tax level. Um, Kim also wants to know, do you like our new signings, pros and cons? Um, I think we've touched on that. But overall, so if if you just look at the unrestricted guys, so we we really let go of Roberts, Kamen, and Henderson, and we brought in Evan Turner and Festus Azili. What grade would you give our summer so far, Sage? Solid B. I mean, yeah, I think you go B, maybe a B plus. I think the Azili move probably makes you maybe maybe moves you to a B plus, and I think that's pretty damn good for the Portland Trailblazers because there was only maybe one player realistically that gets us that A, and that's Hassan Whiteside, because Al Horford, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, those guys weren't coming here. Um, and if you put it this way, we got Evan Turner for four years, seventy million. Parsons was four for ninety four. Would you rather have Parsons for four for ninety four, or you could have Azili and Turner for that same money? I'll take. I'm it. Thinking, I'll take what Blazers got. Exactly. I mean, you'll do that ten times out of ten. So when you start to put things into perspective and look at what Neil's done, we had not made the second round of the playoffs in fourteen years. He gets here, and we've done it two out of the past three seasons, and we're on the rise. We were one of the youngest teams in the NBA. And we're only getting better. I think one thing fans forget, and I'm guilty of this too, is internal development. Look at CJ McCollum had just a, the continuity boost that we're going to get. You get chemistry, and you know McCollum had a couple good games, like a couple really good games in the playoffs. 
but he's not even scratched the surface. Like this is his first year starting, and he won most improved. Dame's not not yet uh, at his peak yet, and then you've got you know. Harkless is still young. If you bring back Crab, he's still supremely young. Um, Von Ley, not even. I mean, you want to talk about talk about not even scratching the surface. He's not even. He's not even ten ten feet away from scratching the surface. Would all right. Last question. Swear to God, Myers Leonard. We can keep going all night, my, my dude. Yes. So that was actually a, a great question from Stewart. Oh, uh, shout out to him. Yeah. We did not answer his question on Twitter, but so yo, shout out to you. Oh. What does Neil do with Crab? We've talked about that. But if we pay Allen, does this cause problems for us if Myers and Mo get large offers? Um, it, it might. I, I'm not sure how they prioritize those three restricted free agents. Um, obviously, this is the shittiest year to have a lot of restricted free agents because teams have so much cap space and they can fuck you over by offering ridiculous deals like we saw for Allen Crab. Um from what I'm hearing, just on Twitter and my gut, I think Myers Leonard takes this qualifying offer for $5.4 million. What it does, it's a one-year deal. It makes him an unrestricted free agent next year. So he can go out and he's free to sign with, with anybody that he wants next season. I roll the dice on Myers for one more year at $5 million. He's out until December with that shoulder surgery. And it gives you a chance to evaluate, I think, Mason and Myers. Myers will be the unrestricted free agent. Mason will be the restricted free agent. Do you move one or the other? How's Azili working? So it just, it just gives you a lot of options if you need to make a move. And it's you know, great insurance, to be quite honest. Um, Harkless, I think you absolutely have to bring him back. If we're talking about pecking order, I've got Harkless ahead of Crab. Wow. I think he's... I think he's got more potential. I think he's a little bit more versatile. And the kid just showed me so much in the playoffs, whether it was at the three or the four. Um, the motor. The motor. I, I mean, I think he's... That's such a skill. I think he's got a lot of opportunity to be a great player off the bench for this team, especially if you've got a guy like Turner running the point and setting him up. I mean, he's already shown an ability to become a consistent three-point shooter. I, I just think he's only going to get better. I mean, you and I talk so much shit about Myers Leonard for, like, I think 15 shows. We talk nothing but shit about Myers Leonard. But if I, you pay, think I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty nice on Myers. Okay, I talk nothing but shit about Myers Leonard. Okay, thank you. Like, you talk some shit, though. I, I feel like I'm respectfully critical. Okay. But I, I, <laughs> when it's due. I, I follow my mom's lead and talk just nothing but cat shit about him. If he came back for five mil... I'd welcome him back with open arms and wouldn't talk shit, because that is so cheap. And you gotta, you gotta find those cheap contracts. And if he's willing to take the qualifying offer, welcome back, Myers. I'm so happy to see you for one year. And no, I said this on on, on Twitter, but we bring all our restricted free agents back. You look at that depth chart; it's 12 deep, and it really reminds me of that 99, that 98 through 2000 Blazers era where we just didn't have a lot of star power. Like I know Dame is a star, but we don't. Outside of Dame, you know CJ's there, but like there's not a lot of star power. It's not like Cleveland or Golden State where you're going to win, you know, on the shoulders of of LeBron and Steph every night. This team is just stacked and loaded with just a lot of solid players, and you've got that boost of of the superstar in Dame. 
And that's what those Blazers teams were built on back in the day. And they won with their depth, they won with their defense, and they won with their, their versatility, their their ability to, to switch. And they had so many versatile players almost before that was a thing. Like, they were not to... I mean, I'm not even going to say the pun. I was going to say the Trailblazers. I'm not even going to go there. They were ahead of the curve when it came to that. Um, this team, you know, you got Aminu, Turner, Crab, CJ, Dame. They can all play multiple positions. Mason can handle the ball and pass from the center. You got your rim protector in Festus. You've got your young guys in like Noah and Pat. Um, there's just a lot of reason for hope um, with this team. And they're going to be fun. Uh, I don't think the ultimate, obviously the ultimate goal is a championship. I, I know that. I want to see that more than anything in, in, in sports. But we're, we're talking about Durant and the Warriors. It could be a while. So what I'm saying is set your expectations up. We're just enjoying a team. That's fun. Uh, I would be thrilled with another second round performance. Getting the Western Conference Finals would just be unreal. Like That would be our championship right there. And we're only going to get better. So just, just, just let Neil operate. Like, don't go off the hinges off of every move. If they don't match Crab, there's a reason for it. If they do match Crab, there's a reason for it. Like this guy knows more about basketball than almost all of us combined, probably. So are we wrapping up. I mean, my dude, it's almost midnight. It's almost Friday. I know, morning. man. I'm, I'm, so, I'm on the Eastern time zone still, bro. <laughs> so happy happy early Friday, Sage. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you like this podcast, like what we're saying, go subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, we're, we'll be doing a lot of TVT episodes. We got one coming up this this next week. Um, we're going to stay we're gonna stay locked in this summer. No more road trips for from, from my guys, so, so we're good to go. Yeah, yeah I'm done, like. Unless no. somehow I make some serious bread, I'm staying here. No worries. Uh, so leave us that five star rating on, on iTunes. If you don't, you know, you don't mess with iTunes. Hit us up on SoundCloud and Stitcher at Holy Backboard PDX. If you feel, if you ever feel the need to send us an email, you can do that. Holy Backboard at Gmail dot com. Wait, is it Holy Backboard PDX? Yeah. No. So shows how much I. Look at our email. It's holybackwordpdx at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at holybackboard, posting the links when they're up, giving our, our thoughts on all the signings. And, I mean, it's been an episode. It, it feels like it's been three weeks built up of not talking Blazers. So it, thanks. It, it literally has been, though. That's the thing. It has been. So thanks for sticking with us, Root City. We'll be back on uh, throughout the summer. And, you know, enjoy those summer league games because it's going to be the last basketball we get until October. Well, the Olympics, too. Nobody cares about international basketball stage. Oh.